Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon. We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts. It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, but perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like Tom Meissen, Liz Hanna, Joanna Robinson, Brian Cogman, Chuck Hayward. You can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. And for $5, you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes. For a few bucks more, you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes. And perhaps, most importantly, you'll be supporting us uh, so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys. Hello and welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the sequel franchise reboots of the films of 1999 at the behest of our parent company, Warner Brothers. Hat tipped Emily Vanderwerf mm-hmm. here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybar. And I'm Phyllis Gove. And as I just mentioned, with us is the queen of the Matrix <laughs> and also the arbiter of all things... 
all things Christmas adjacent, <laughs> Emily Vanderwerf. Thank you Hello. for coming back. Hello, boys. Um, <laughs> you know, I used to be on this show like five times a year, and now it's down to like once a year, and I don't know how I feel about that. Well, like don't show. you worry. You're going to be back a couple times this year. <laughs> oh, good. Good for yes. me. We've got, yes. some, we've got some yeah. good stuff planned. Yeah, yeah. I think we I think we have a great Christmas adjacent movie for you. It's called um, Miracle on 34th Street. So I'm looking for... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is going on? What How is Santa that? Claus? I, here's my question. Here's yeah. my question mm-hmm. before we get into the Matrix. Emily yeah. and uh, Emily and her wife Libby just did a screen oh, dress on go. Christmas adjacent <laughs> Christmas adjacent movies, and Emily played um, uh, "It's a Wonderful Life" uh, number one, which was vetoed by uh, Libby. My question to you is, Emily, how how is that working out for you? <laughs> how is how is what working out for me, the fact that I made a bold and iconoclastic choice that was the right one for America and that it was filibustered away. I, I, I'm feeling I, I asked that without yeah. judgment, but, but yeah. I've noticed that there is a pretty significant backlash. That's what I'm asking. Oh, I mean, sure. But you know what? You got, <laughs> you got to make bold choices for America it's true. To like move forward into the uh, the new era of the 21st century, we are working with 20th century ideas, and we need to move forward. That's right. And we need to let go of the past and understand that some of our understanding about the past is different. Now, I, I truly would that be a great segue to Lana Wachowski's Matrix Resurrection. <laughs> Uh, yes, but also, I truly believe that if It's a Wonderful Life were not a movie that had become shown at Christmas every year, yeah, my uh, my argument would be greeted a lot more favorably. That said, I get why I get why people turned on me, uh, including my own wife. Um, <laughs> but that's okay. That's okay. You know, so uh, uh, our our marriage is fine, and we're all happy. And doing great. It was a great episode of great episode. Uh, of Screen Draft. It really, really was. Welcome, and, to and the I club. will say too, like you know, it, it's. I appreciated that you guys and Kenny and I, you know, we've been on on Screen Draft a couple of times, and I think that we try to do the same thing, which is you know, zig where people think you're going to zag, and don't mm-hmm. put your predictable choices on there. As much as I love Eyes Wide Shut and Batman Returns, um, I understand the choices to to not go with no, your Eyes obvious Shut, picks. Eyes Wide Shut was one. Eyes Wide Shut made it I on. just mean in general. Yeah. Was it the, the, excellent? The Batman Returns. Number one choice. Yeah. And excellent. like, I, I love that movie. I think it's a, I think it is a great number one choice. I mostly did it to spite my wife. <laughs> <laughs> her, her, the, 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 the trepidation and the, 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 the feeling like I, I could just, I had this sense that she was just standing on the railroad tracks the entire podcast. <laughs> Knowing that this great George Bailey train was bearing down on her from two towns away, though, but she could hear it, and she knew it was coming, and she couldn't get off the jacks. And the thing is, she could have played it at any time, and she knew I was going to have to accept it, it because I had made that argument to her so many times, and and yet she just sat there and waited for it to happen because she loves Rocky for that much, apparently. Good film. Rocky, Rocky <laughs> Four is a good, good film. It's a good movie. Rocky Four is amazing. Yeah. Uh, There's I, a robot. All Rockies are kind of Christmas adjacent in their own weird way. I just watched the original, which is kind of Christmas adjacent. But uh, like that fight takes place in 
like December, I think. Like there are there are there are Christmas lights up all around the city. Um, okay, uh, here's what right. I wanted. Here's how I wanted to start this conversation. Yeah, please. After you did Matrix uh, One on this podcast, mm-hmm. you have become not because of our podcast, though you know definitely partially mm-hmm. the in the indisputed oracle, as Phil said, of all things Matrix on the internet. This has led to my understanding four to five hundred podcast appearances about this new yes. movie. Yes. Okay. I, I how yeah. can we be different? That's a um, good that's a good question. You uh actually I've only been on one to actually oh, talk okay. about the new okay. movie and it was okay, it was um the slate uh spoiler special. Um what would happen is I would get invited to be on a show. Mm-hmm. And they would say, we want to talk with you about the Matrix. And I would be like, it's because I'm trans, right? And then like, uh, I would get in there and they'd be like, so the Matrix is a trans allegory, correct? And I was like, well, you can read trans themes into it, but I believe it's a larger thing than that. And then we'd have a nice conversation. But okay. it was definitely, you know, reading the Matrix is one thing. And like, uh, that always, that bugs me. This movie is more rich than that. That said, there's, you know, I actually think there's an interesting section in the Matrix Resurrections where all the characters are like, well, now what's the Matrix about? Yes. And like, they throw all these ideas out, including uh, trans readings and, you know, fascist readings. And like, it is sort of thrown out. <laughs> they as came like, back to back. Yeah. 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 It is sort of thrown out as like, you can read all of this as you want, but it doesn't explain it doesn't explain the matrix. So, um, yeah, but this is only the second show I've been on talking about the new movie. Uh, it was generally Good. just Hold shows on. talking. Yeah. It was just shows talking about the, the, the old movies and, um, and then having me say, have you seen the new movie? And I'd say, yes, I really liked it. And then like, we couldn't say anything more about it. Um, right. And of course, as we know, America was once again gripped by matrix fever. It was a huge <laughs> hit and made $700 million dollars yeah. in yeah. one day. Um, yeah. I do. By I, matrix I, fever. I wanted to I want to piggyback on what you just said about how this movie can be read so many different ways. And I don't even mean this movie, but this franchise. Like I yeah. think what's I mean, listen, they're they're innumerable and we're gonna get into the ways that this that this franchise is brilliant, but I do think that part of what appeals to certainly appeals to the three of us about this franchise is um is the the myriad of ways that it can be interpreted. Like I think that that's what one of the many things that is brilliant about it. Like, I, I I don't know. I just, I feel like it's, it's a little myopic to kind of come at it in only one reading. And, and I will be completely frank when we did our podcast a few years ago on the matrix with you, you know, I, the, the trans allegory or the trans reading of the film to me personally was relatively new. It wasn't as though I, I, you know, but it, it, And I think part of it had to do with, you know, Lana and Lily's transition and what have you. But still, I do feel like I don't know that. And I and I read your article again yesterday that you did about this film, the the Vox article about trauma. And and I I I really believe that this film is much more uh, is talking about a lot of other things outside of the trans thing. Like, I almost feel like the, the trans thing is is kind of old hat to them, quote unquote. Like on some level, it feels like they want to dive into all sorts of other interesting ideas. Yeah. What do, do you, do you, like, I don't know that this would be, do you think this is, is the least trans quote unquote of the franchise in its own way or? 
it's the it's the most and the least. Like it's okay. there there's it is very obsessed with tearing down binaries, which is yes. of course part of the 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 general project of transness, but you know, it's also very interested in the ways that that you spread that out to things like economic systems, political systems, etc. Right. And like at the same time, you know, you look at those original movies and um th- there's this video game Celeste which is uh, a game about this this girl climbing a mountain. It's a it's a fantastic game, and at the very end of the game, you find out that the girl is trans. And like the creator of that game came out as trans a couple years after that game came out, and uh, she was like, "Oh, I was I was using that game to work through this stuff, and I didn't realize it." And I'm saying like the original oh, Matrix wow. trilogy is like the Celeste of movies. hundred like, percent. Yeah. yeah. It's very much Lana and Lily working through some feelings and some ideas they have. And I know there are other people who disagree with me on this, but the timing just doesn't make sense for them to like be out to themselves in 1999. And like, if you read those movies as stories about self-acceptance, I think there's a really rich thing there. Um, this movie is made by someone who's been out for at least 10 years, if not longer. Longer. And now. she's, you know, uh, she's, you get to a point in your transition and in your life where you, uh, suddenly like are like, you know, I just want to kind of want to live my life. I don't want everything to be defined by my transness. And then a new matrix movie comes out and every <laughs> podcast in the world invites you on to talk about how it's a trans allegory. So, uh, but I, 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 I think that I want to just talk for a very quick second about, or maybe not for a quick second, but I feel like the impetus of this film, for all intents and purposes, it should be said that the Wachowskis had put the Matrix to bed. They had no interest in doing more Matrix films. They were asked regularly by Warner Brothers to do one, and they just didn't have any real interest in doing it. What sparks it, and I'm going to read a very brief quote from Lana. She said, I couldn't have my mom and dad, yet suddenly I had Neo and Trinity, arguably the two most important characters of my life. It was immediately comforting to have these two characters alive again, and it's super simple. You can look at it and say, okay, these two people die, and okay, bring these two people back to life, and oh, doesn't that feel good? Yeah, it did. It's simple. And this is what art does, and this is what stories do. They comfort us, and they're important. I bring this up because this was a coping mechanism with grief for, for all intents and purposes. The, 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 the inception of this film is from that place. So this feels a lot more to me like a grace note or an epilogue to this franchise and less about starting a new trilogy, starting a new franchise or finding Do you sort of know what I'm getting at? Yeah. And like, I think if this movie had been, if America had caught Matrix Fever again, there's interesting places to go from this setup. Sure. I could easily see this being a thing where Lana has now said what she needs to with this franchise and she would pass it off to some other filmmaker or something. Sure. Or, you know, something she would pass it off to known acclaimed filmmaker and creator of Emily in Charge on uh, RFD TV, <laughs> Emily Vanderwerf. Um, but yeah, I you know, there is something beautiful about this being the last movie. The only read of this movie that I push back on, I totally get why people don't like it. I totally get why people don't vibe with it. The only read I push back on is that it's cynical. I think it's deeply, deeply, deeply heartfelt. Well, I, I, I look, I want to frame, frame this. I watched mm-hmm. less three, so these three, and not the first one, mm-hmm. over the course of about 18 hours. <laughs> uh, I... I hadn't seen Reloaded in its entirety since the theater. 
Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a frame of Revolutions until uh, since the theater. And obviously, I never saw a resurrection. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, so, so these three movies basically being first watches for me, right? Yeah. At least first critical watches. Like, sure. I did not like the sequels in the theater. I think they're fucking amazing after watching them again. Yeah. Um, tremendous. But I'm not in the headspace to analyze them and break them down the way I've broken down the original, which I've seen 50 times. Having said that, I only can see Matrix Resurrections as a wildly romantic love story. That's the, o- that's the only thing that I connected with in terms of what I think this film is about, and what I think this film is doing, uh, where I you know, locked into this film, which I think is kind of true for the sequels as well. Like, I don't think the sequels are as rich or uh, as rich a text as the original, but I think they're incredible action world building. It's an incredible. Um, but, and, and I think that's, that's continued to this, this, this current one, but in terms of, you know, I mean, I loved all the meta shit. I, that is, that, that really is like, that really is captain for me. And I really do feel like I want them up in my gray matter. I think they're right about that. And uh, and I think there are elements of this film that get you there, but but thankfully mm-hmm. it wasn't all of the grist. Like it really, it really did feel about these two characters breaking free and finding each other. And that's all I wanted. Well, it's 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 so I watched it twice. I went to see it in the theater um in IMAX when it came out, and I'd be lying if I said that um I was a little I don't want to say confused, but a little discombobulated uh, by the first like half hour of the film sitting in the theater. Just, you know, when you're in the modal and, and you're just like seeing different versions of things and you're and, and the movie is grappling with like what is real and what is not for that first 30 minutes. That was a little bit confusing. Um, watching it a second time is actually a very clean, very simple story. Like it's, it, is. It, it's, it really isn't that complicated. I can it's understand. Almost, it's almost too clean. It might, it might be, I agree. Um, so it's, it's interesting to watch it again and really just be hit with what Kenny's saying. Um, the thing that I, absolutely fucking love about this movie and it might be the thing that i love most about this film is the eradication of the notion of the one and that it was never about the one it was actually about the power of the two of them um literally their love powers the matrix now Um, (laughs) like it's it's just amazing that i absolutely adored and listen, I don't, again, I'm not going to push a, a trans reading on this film too hard, but it is about two trans lesbians love just to like, just dr- <laughs> driving all of reality, which is true. That is true. That <laughs> is a do. thing that happens. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They power the world now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but I, but to your point, Kenny, I do think that this, I, so when the trailer for Resurrections came out, whenever it was, you know, six months ago or whatever, I rewatched all three of them again because I was like, I need them back in my life. And I wanted to get reacquaint myself with it. Um, and similar to Kenny, was really floored by this watch. I've watched the sequels a couple of times over the years and Reloaded has always kind of hit me a little bit more. It's just quite frankly more fun than, than Resurrections is. But they're both amazing. Or sorry, than, they're both great than Revolutions, that is. Um, and, and if you see them as one big movie, I actually think that's the best way 
to think of them mm-hmm. um, because they kind of they're the yin to each other's yangs and they kind of do you know what I mean? Like it, it really to watch them back to back is kind of the best way to to enjoy them. Um, but it, it really kind of floored me uh, how <laughs> romantic these movies are. I would argue that that the Wachowskis might be the most big hearted like filmmakers out there. Like I, I understand that that they never you know they haven't had a hit since the Matrix, a quote unquote hit, and that their films take time for people to to really kind of grapple with. Um, but once you do, like they're just they're big softies. Yeah. They're they're just like I mean, I think they share that in common with, weirdly, George Lucas. Sure, George sure. Lucas is also like sure. very much what a, but George Lucas is like comes at it from a very analytical perspective where he's like, what if love could power the universe? And like the Wachowskis are like, no, love absolutely powers yeah. the universe. Just think about that for a second. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think what has happened with the sequels is that the world has caught up to them a little bit. Like they are movies that seem to have predicted our current moment in a weird way. And that's an accident. I don't think the Wachowskis are like psychic seers. They (laughs) are actually, but, um, (laughs) but like they just, they just sort of accidentally predicted where we are in terms of like discourse, in terms of how we're thinking about facing the problems that face humanity. Uh, and I think this movie is similarly prescient, but also very much of the moment in you're talking about resurrection. Yeah. Resurrection. Yeah. I so I I it, it's it's interesting because Resurrection is going to be a really interesting movie to look back on five ten years from now because yeah now we're almost twenty years past the um, the the original sequels and they are very prescient and they do really speak to this moment. My concern with Resurrections is it's also speaking directly to this moment. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Like very like like Neil Patrick Harris has this monologue about how essentially. You know, you want to be angry. You want to be fighting. You want to be, you know, yeah. hating that power, like the on some Monsters Inc. shit. That powers the world more than love ever could, right? The idea yeah. feelings are so are most important to you. facts yeah. are but less important than feelings. But your bad feelings, yes, right? Yes. Your angry feelings, and that feels very true right now. I, no doubt about it. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah. think. I mean, I think the original movies were speaking to their moment in a similar way. Like, I, my argument about the first Matrix has always been that it's very much a movie about the way people were feeling in the late '90s. It just had this deeper well beneath it that kept it relevant in a way that, like. American Beauty, a movie I do like, just hasn't had that resonance because it doesn't have that deeper well. It's just sort of like, what if you were unsatisfied with buying things? And like, yes, but also what? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. And I feel like the same was true of the sequels. So I think there's always something that speaks to the now and then there's something deeper. And maybe Resurrections doesn't have that deeper thing in it. It is kind of a weird remake of Monsters, Inc. now that you mention it. Like, I think that's a fascinating (laughs) way to read this film and we're going to do that for the next two hours. This is an allegory about monsters. Um, And (laughs) Can I just say, though, that I I do feel like... Isn't it always a remake of Monsters, Inc.? (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know... I, I, I... you, you you made an interesting point about why the Matrix has stayed with us to some degree or another. And I, I do think that one of the, the major components is how fucking cool that movie is on top of everything else, right? Yeah. It's deeply rich. It's incredible. Yes, the original. It's, the original movie holds up 
so unbelievably well aesthetically and technically <laughs> that I would argue that I mean, there are sequences in Reloaded that are phenomenal. I think the highway chase in particular is, is, a, is a tour de force. Mm-hmm. But there's also things that don't oh, age so, so well. The, many. the Burly Brawl doesn't age as well. It looks kind of like a video game. There's some things yeah. that they kind of push themselves too far. I thought I would hate it, but I don't hate it. No, it, I mean, hate's a strong word. But I just mean in terms of the Matrix, right. because of its tactility and because of the fact that it was made at a certain time when films were made that way, Mm-hmm. And and one of the backlashes you're seeing against Resurrections from the fans is that the action isn't as cool, quote unquote, or it doesn't have that sort of that spectacular cutting edge technical proficiency. I think it does, quite frankly, but I understand some people feeling like maybe it's not as overt as the other films. But the first Matrix film holds up so well that... I just don't know if they could ever do that again or if they're really interested in doing it. Well, look, I, 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 I want to just... So when we were when I was watching the film, I was uh, texting with you a lot of it, right? You were reloaded, and, not yeah, not uh, reloaded in Revolution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but those two films, I was texting you and, and basically, you know, lamenting our society that we didn't um, <laughs> that, that that we didn't embrace this. It was a lot of what was wrong with us. In a lot of what was wrong with us, and I and I've been thinking a lot about what was wrong with us. Uh, yeah, so in yeah. two thousand and three, the other films, you know, obviously. Reloaded was pretty high on the fucking box office list. But the sure. other films that were high in the box office were Finding Nemo, Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings, the first one, Bruce Almighty, X2, Elf, Chicago, Terminator Rise of the Machines, and Bad Boys 2. What was going on in 2000? <laughs> Real Murderer's Row. Well, a Murderer's Row of, of, it's light, a- yeah. of, 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 of light ass, unchallenging. Yes. Movies. If you look yeah. at you look at that that uh, Lord of the Rings film, which is the third and final, yeah. which won yeah, all so the Oscars. The, sorry, you're right. It is the third. Yeah. It's returning again. Yeah, and like that's a movie with a very clear cut good and evil. Like we are still in the wake of nine eleven. That's what I was going to get at, Ali. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So yeah. it, so in in ninety nine we were pre nine eleven, and and you know there yes. was this there was this idea that I bring up on this podcast a lot, but it's the rage rage against the machine video that had uh, Al Gore and George Bush morph into one person. There yeah. was this idea yeah. that everybody in power was part of the same machine. Mm-hmm. And when you say, when you have a movie that says there is some kind of thing keeping us in place, it was everybody, right? It was everybody in power and Matrix spoke to that moment. What happened in uh, 9-11 really fucking fucked everybody up. We know it fucked everybody up, but it fucked it, it fucked it fucked us up in terms of like drop all that idea about who the bad guys are for a moment, and like the bad guys are somewhere else, and we're all the good guys. Like if you're in America, if you're in the Western world, you're the good guys, and let's get on that idea for a second. So yeah, this very clear binary between good and evil in most of the films I said, including a movie like X Two, um, you know, which is just a fucking you know terrorism fighting movie big strong american guy against foreign evil people um, and also like you know racism to some degree it's like all an allegory for like them and us and all that sort of, of stuff. course yeah. which by the way most of these films are mm-hmm. um that that i think is why these films which like on rewatch are like crowd pleasers world building they're rich they're yeah. fun they're cool i think that's why they didn't connect at the time because they are difficult 
Right. I want to, I actually want to push back on this a little bit because I, I had gotten to a point where I was like, well, people have realized the matrix sequels are at least interesting. You know, they maybe haven't gotten to the point where they like them, but they've at least been like, there was more going on there. We were wrong to judge them harshly. And then I've had enough conversations where I'm like, no, people still hate these fucking movies. Yes. They really still think they're bad. People haven't watched them. I I, no, like they, they would go and they'd revisit them. In because they knew the new movie was coming and they would be like, I still hate. And it's because it deconstructs the chosen one thing. I really think that's what it is. These movies are like, and in 2003, that was really radical, especially in the wake of 9-11, especially at a time when I think the first one came out like six weeks after the invasion of Iraq. Like it's, All, it's also yeah. also about two months after a month after Columbine. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, the, the the first sequel. Sorry, uh, the for the re, so Reloaded comes out about six weeks after the invasion of Iraq. Yeah. Like we're in this space where we're like we don't we're questioning, but we don't want to question, etc. And these these two movies, the end of the Matrix is so satisfying in terms of Neo achieving his potential, mm-hmm. and we want to believe that that means that he's the best ever. And then the two sequels are like, no, like no. there is no one person. It has to be everybody. And that's a very challenging thing because well, you're like, if, yeah. the, if we have to fix the world together, I kind of hate everybody. I don't know if I want to do that. Well, here's another thing about the ma- the matrices that I think plays on that. I'm putting myself back in 99 and what Phil just said about them being cool movies I, I I think the 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 mock obsession with bullet time in in uh, the new one in resurrections yeah. is interesting, but it's a little misplaced. I don't think that is what got people so excited. I really think it is the idea, the Terminator esque idea, of us all being plugged into something and living in a simulation that really got people going, right? And those were the those were. The, he, I don't. I, I just refuse to believe that anybody who really engaged in this movie came back and said, "I want to see more bullet time." Like that's just not what gets people going. It's I want to see what's going to happen with this simulation world. I want to see it th- dismantled, and I want to see or or where it goes or whatever. And I think the the and I said this to Phil. I think what's really interesting about the sequels is they're not. They don't take place within the simulation. They don't take place within the matrix. Our characters and, you know, by, by extension, the audience are unplugged from the matrix throughout that movie. You are playing, you, you, you are, you are set in and you were set around the matrix and occasionally go into it. And I think that was off putting for people because outside of the part with the architect, which I think turned people off and in wrestling, I think is pretty amazing. Um, didn't answer those questions of what is the matrix? What? How does it serve the larger purpose and, and how are humans going to overcome this? And I think just for me at the time, I'm still having trouble with it, but not in like a I hate it way and like a, I'm still parsing it. The resolution being essentially work with the machines was a tough one to swallow. Yeah. But I mean, like you have to think about it from the perspective of if this really happened, if we were all in a computer simulation and we suddenly woke up to it and like we were just jerked out of it and thrown into a post-apocalyptic reality, that would, that would, that would suck. Um, that would not be fun. Like uh, there is something about like the only way to reform the system is to 
partially become the system, but also overthrow the system. Like revolutions only work if they like find a way to co-opt what they're overthrowing yeah. and make it better. And like, you know, the, the story of revolution is the people who overthrow something often have really great intentions and often make it, you know, however far, but then it inevitably gets corrupted because people are complicated and stupid. Um, and like that, which, yeah, go ahead. Which also, you know, speaks so much to resurrections, right? I mean, mm-hmm. so much of that initial conversation between uh, Tom and, and, uh, Jonathan Groff is about just that thing, right? It's, I mean, you really do feel in this film uh, Lana grappling with what does it mean for me as an artist to make another one of these movies? Like, am you know, is there a is there a symbiotic relationship I can have with a studio? What the art form that I have chosen Big to time. work in is unbelievably expensive and requires me to find some sort of commonality with Warner Brothers, um, specifically with this film. But and, and so you're feeling that post-revolution idea. It's it's I mean it's you know what, Phil, this is interesting because this is something you and I talk about all the time. Uh and we fight about all the time. Um but what's interesting about our industry. Is it's the only industry I can think of where someone who has no management skills and no aspirations to be management, if they rise up high enough, become management and sometimes become the CEOs of these major companies like Lucasfilm, for instance. Um, And I, and, and, and ultimately I would argue become the bad guys. Um, Almost this is very always. much Kenny's argument. This is this. This is this is the hill I die on, and I hope no one really listens to it, I, except I, everyone's going to listen to this episode. Because I do want to butt in and say this also happens in journalism. Like my career sure has been materially yeah. impacted by not, you know, pushing sure. further into management. But like I was management for a long time because I just was like good at writing, and they were like, "Well, you're probably also good at managing people." Right? I was like what? <laughs> well, I mean, whether whether you're good at it or not. And at least you acknowledge your management, right? Like that's the thing that like happens in this industry. What's interesting if you read it. All right. So if, if Trinity and Neo are essentially the Wachowskis or just Lana, I mean, it's hard to say exactly what they are, but that's who they are. Right. Or they're her parents or they're her parents, but they're, well, I I mean, I feel like let's read it as a, as, as a being her, because like, I think Neo very clearly is like the, her in the, at least in the first third of this movie. Right. And then I think, you know, there's a reason that that these two actors look almost identical. So I, I, I think that and I think there's something going on there. If the resolution of this movie is Neo and Trinity have now taken over the Matrix. They are. So the system is still in place and there is still a, you know. There, there's still utility for this system, but now they're the benevolent leaders of it. And we're supposed to walk away and be happy with that. Which is, by the way, also kind of what happened in the end of Revolutions. Um, it, it makes me wonder if the next episode of this movie, should there be one, Trinity and Neo are the bad guys. 
I think uh, I do think there's a very meet the new boss, same as the old boss aspect to this. One thing I've been interested in following in the fandom is sort of their question of, is this like just a matrix? Are there now many matrices and some of them are better than others? And this is just the one that Neo and Trinity happen to be stuck in, etc. It's like, it's clear that the world has moved on. Time has moved on. Things are different. Humans and machines are working together in some ways. In some ways they're not. It's a very like, uh, there, so yeah, I think there is this question of, are they, by taking over, the second you take over, you become the system people have to fight against. And like, right. I think Lana Wachowski is very interested in that question, especially across the second decade of her career. Um, Cloud Atlas, uh, Jupiter Ascending, Sense8 are all to some degree wrestling with this question of like, what does it mean to have power? Because some people have to have power, but how do you share that equitably, et cetera, et cetera. Also, what if, what if two trans lesbians in love were powering all of humanity? Because they do, obviously. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think that, you know, my, my, my counter to, to Kenny when we discuss this, uh, is I don't think it's binary specifically in in a creative environment um so i i think that that's where things get um ambiguous you know what i mean and, and intangible to some degree or another um you know I, I think that and i i think that's what lana grapples with specifically in this film it feels like in terms of how do i Make another one of these things, scratch the itches that i'm that I'm dealing with, and also make something that conceivably is you know uh lucrative i guess i mean part of it to me what's interesting, Kenny, I think to some degree, as you were texting me, I was thinking about this that like yes, Warner Brothers has wanted to make another matrix movie uh and i and I, on some level, I understand that on another level, I think to myself. People hated the sequels. So on some level, you've got to say what you really want is more of the first Matrix. And they're never going to give you that. So on some, and listen, pandemic and box office, all these sort of things, would this have been more successful in a different time? Is it still successful with its HBO Max release? Who the fuck knows? All, all of those are intangibles. But I think this film was always going to piss people off. Yeah. Yeah. I did think I, I did think it was interesting. Yeah. The way now they broke down the matrix and fandom and all that stuff pretty yep. incisively. But one thing they never said was the first was good and the second two were not good. <laughs> yeah. uh, they didn't have an asshole character that was never right. spoken. The asshole said I didn't even like the first. <laughs> but <laughs> but no one said like yes. over and over again yeah. it was the original trilogy, the original trilogy. Yeah. They were strewn through they were there were you know these these flashbacks or however you want to call it that, sure. that Neo was experiencing that were strewn, you know, throughout the three movies. It's very clear to me that Lana at least views this as one piece thing. of yes. art take it or fucking yeah. yeah which which i respect the hell out of and i'm and, and I, i'm i'm speaking i'm putting my like warner brothers executive hat on and saying so you want a matrix sequel and you want it from the wachowskis you're you're begging them to give you this because you believe rightly that the fan base and they mm. you, know, you need to have the original voices the original people behind it um and and that's completely justified that being said you also have to ask yourself 
diminishing returns on a box office level between Reloaded and and Revolutions to a significant degree, almost two hundred million dollar drop off between the two films. Um, a, a, a series that has been re, you know reappraised to some degree, but a lot of people still, as you mentioned, really don't like them. Um, I guess my question is, if you sat down with with any number of Warner Brothers executives off the record and asked them, if you could have made that Michael B. Jordan Morpheus prequel that Zach Penn, you know, has talked about trying to do and, you know, give the the, the reboot and the blah, blah, blah. Would would it have made more money? Would it have would it have, you know, been the movie that your your less diehard fans wanted? Uh I mean the answer to that obviously is probably yes. Pro- yes, probably. But it also like I don't know. I watched the original Matrix. I watched the original trilogy. There's all these little hints of things. There's all these little hints of world building. Like I remember famously Harry Knowles didn't like uh the the now disgraced uh film journalist i don't know what to call him yeah he wrote ain't it cool news he famously said in matrix reloaded there's this little thing about like how vampires and werewolves are like like second generation matrix whatever and he was like i want more of that i'm like no you don't like it's an interesting idea that the second you follow it is like well that's just a one level idea but I think that we're in a in a, a culture, and I think this movie sort of grapples with that, where what people want is those one thing ideas that are like, oh, what if we saw Morpheus as a um, what if we saw Morpheus before he was Morpheus? And like, yeah, maybe that would be fun, but like, there's nowhere to go with that story. It's just like a story you already know. But we kind of want stories we already know right now. Like that is comforting, and I don't want to take that comfort away from people Mm -hmm. um i think spider-man no way home which we're all kind of grappling with right now because it's this humongous hit is an interesting example of giving people what they want but i haven't thought about that movie nearly as much as i've thought about matrix resurrections which which frustrated me more but also pleased me more than a movie that just kind of gave me what i knew i wanted i i I, I loved both of these movies and i I mean i loved spider-man too uh and I, I give it a lot of credit for you know, a filmed version of someone's you know fan fiction uh, dream, and also being an entertaining, entertaining movie, which seems nearly impossible. Phil and I know, and Emily, I'm sure you mess around with this too. Is eighty fucking five percent of the generals I go on that are associated with the studio, they're like, we're getting pitched IP all the time, yeah. and you know, and, and what they really want is for you to find a side character and uh, figure out a way to give them their whole show. And the way to do it, ninety five percent of the time, is through a fucking prequel. And I think prequels are almost always the worst. And even the ones I think are like conceptually not the worst. Like I think Rogue One is conceptually a really great idea uh, mm-hmm. that I thought was really boring in execution. So uh, I, I think that it just when you're talking about Morpheus, the Michael B. Jordan idea, and the idea of a prequel with Morpheus, um, the only prequel I'd want to see with more with Morpheus is something that takes place out. I mean, I want I, I, the only one I'd want to see is the Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines version. That's the only thing about that's this world that I. That's the only thing about sure. this world that I'm that I'm interested in at this point. Well, because that's, um, that's the stuff that, that hasn't been unpacked in. 
Uh, you know what I mean? Like there's there's a world building component to that that we haven't seen. Whereas like Amorpheus yes. coming into his own, I feel like I know what that story is. There's no coming into his own because yeah. it's all within a matrix that we know yeah. he doesn't alter. Yep. So yep. or yep. or we or probably I think I think the way to do what Warner Brothers probably most wants is just make some more animatrix films where you dig into <laughs> like you get little shorts that are like yeah. digging into these world building mm-hmm. elements. Like I don't know if those can power a movie, but yeah, like I mean all I, just to yeah, go ahead. yeah, just to be just to be clear, I wasn't I'm not a proponent of doing a prequel with Michael P. Jordan. I as no, much as I like you're, Michael you're Jordan. Giving the executive POV, I'm, I'm giving and the, I think that's yeah, interesting. I, I do, and I I think that it's what's what's interesting about all of this too, and and all of this is unintentional and and by mistake. But like the Matrix Resurrections also feeding into this HBO Max component as well of how we watch things, how how Warner Brothers makes money off of movies and 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 is also part of this too. That's all part of the machine, right? It's it's so to some degree or another uh I watched this film thinking if I was a Warner Brothers executive why would I want this movie? Is is ultimately really what it comes down to. And I and I think that the 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 bigger reason is you're you, you're rebooting it to some degree. Can you now make a television show? Can you now make, you know, animatrixes? Can you do things off of it you, by, you know, bringing it back you to the think, consciousness? Like, serious question. Mm-hmm. Do you think Lana got notes on this movie? No. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, I, I think they basically said, come back and do what you want. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I would not be surprised if, like, she got some, like, people said, hey, here's some thoughts we have. And she was like, okay. Uh, Thanks. Noted. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, I, I do wonder if there's, I, I, I agree that I don't think they got any notes, but I also wonder as well that Warner Brothers was so desperate to get them to do one. So on some level, it's like, whatever you want, you can do whatever you want. But then I also feel like Jupiter Ascending was a big flop a very expensive flop that you know that was that was theoretically the beginning of another universe or another phrase there was a lot of you know possibilities wrapped up in that movie um you have to wonder whether or not warner brothers is like the only thing that we're willing to let the wachowskis go off the chain for again is a matrix movie yeah i think that's probably true um I'm fascinated by how the Wachowski sincerity seems to like yes. constantly like bite them in the moment. In the moment, people don't want sincerity. And then 10 years later, they're like, why can't we just have nice, sincere things? And then they, you know, um, I don't, I don't like to turn the Marvel movies into the villain because I think there's some very good ones and there's some very bad ones, but all of them have this kind of arch tone. That like we want in the moment and then, you know, five years from now, which of those do I still think about? You know, like sincerity like play is has a great long tail, but in the oh, moment yeah. rarely. Yeah. So when I also feel which like ones, if you remember, just, sorry, real fast, which ones yeah. do you th- still think about? Just interested. I think about the first Avengers. I think that's a yeah. really well constructed movie. I do think about Black Panther. I think about how that captured a moment. I think about Guardians 2. All the time. I think that is an interesting movie, and that's maybe the most sincere Marvel movie. And I think about Endgame just because 
the experience of watching that movie in a crowded theater was like nothing else. Yeah. I have big problems with that movie, but like when you watch that with a room full of people, it was just like one of the great experiences. And then it, it had the good fortune of coming out six months before a pandemic or whatever it was, where like suddenly we couldn't have that experience. I would just go watch YouTubes of people reacting to that movie and just yeah. being like, this is what life used to be like. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that movie is 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 a staggering. Uh, whether you know issues with it aside, landing that plane is insane. Yeah, but, yeah, but, and I then mean, they yeah. did. I mean, I, yeah, I just in terms of the Marvel movie, speaking of what you're talking about, I I basically have a headcanon where uh, Tony Stark and Pepper Potts are like the mom and dad of this universe mm-hmm. because that's the relationship that always stuck yeah. with me mm-hmm. and the relationship I cared about at the end of Endgame and the relationship that carried me through those three movies and other movies too. Um, and I think it's interesting that Guardians has a you know real tried and true love story. And I think you know for me my my genuine favorite one is Homecoming and that's built on you know real genuine emotions and real pathos and a lot of stuff. So yeah, I I completely agree with you when it comes to uh, the 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 relative value of sincerity in the moment versus down the road. Um, I yeah, also just think that they're they are. Um, you know, I remember sitting in the theater for Speed Racer, and and I remember thinking it it was exhausting at the at the time. I remember just feeling that the the visuals of that movie were just relentless. Now I watch that film and see that it was about, you know, 10 years ahead of the game in terms of just being so uh all enveloping. Like just just they they understood where and they continue to understand where things are going. Um but I remember, I mean as I'm sure we all do, people rejected Speed Racer in a, in a mm-hmm. way that was visceral. Mm-hmm. Um people really really sure. didn't like that movie. Um you know, Cloud Atlas is a movie that also pushed people's buttons in ways that that people didn't really know how to deal with. Um, both of those have had reclamations. Both of those movies now people think are brilliant. I just think they're ahead of the game. I love. I mean, I loved Cloud Atlas at the time. I do think Cloud Atlas. Um, Cloud Atlas engages with the Wachowskis' giant blind spot around race in ways that are complicated and hard to watch and problematic. Correct. Correct. But. I think it's their best movie all the but same. It's, yeah. It, it can't, that 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 criticism kind of kills me because it's baked into that movie. It's, oh, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's yeah, explicitly yeah. it's it's explicitly about, you know, universal themes and and to me that's that's a weird kind of egg you had to break to make this omelet. But yeah, it's just one of those things where they do it to just enough of a degree that it bugs you if they were doing it way more it would be way more racist but you'd be like okay i guess we have to do this and if they did it not at all you'd be like i'm glad they avoided doing that but like it's they do it just enough for you to be like this is kind of racist and like that that bugs you you know because it is yeah racist but i mean even the racist components aside Mm -hmm. people bumped on just the, the general construction of it, right? Like, what am I supposed to care about? Mm-hmm. Who am I supposed to care about? Yep. What does all of this mean? All of um, these people yeah. are six people. And like that's... <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yes, yes. I mean, and that, that same thing happened with Sensei, like, um, which them. is really... Good for this, them. Like, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's so cool. I mean, like, whether these are, you know, like, 
like whether whether these are brilliant swings that connected or whether they're these giant massive misfires and i think everybody feels that way about all these films with the exception of the first mm-hmm. matrix or there are people who think they're brilliant people who think they are misfires but god are we lucky that that yeah. they have had a basically a billion dollars mm-hmm. to play with over the last 25 years to try their wild shit out mm-hmm. Um, and that's really cool. Like, I oh, mean, I couldn't, I couldn't think of any any better people to spend a bill. <laughs> <laughs> what I think, like, uh, one of the things I think about with um, with the Wachowskis is there was this period in like Steven Spielberg's life where he was kind of on the outs, and then he says, "I'm going to adapt this book, Jurassic Park. I'm going to make this a movie, and it becomes a huge global phenomenon." Like, if the Wachowskis, when they were at the point after um, uh, Cloud Atlas. Which is, of course, their one adaptation. Well, Speed Racer is also an adaptation. But, like, they make these two adaptations that are poorly received. But if they had just been like, we have a really, like, pot boiler novel, mm-hmm. we're just going to adapt straight up, they would have resurrected their career because they're 100%. that good of filmmakers. But instead, they do Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> And like my big pitch is always Lana Wachowski should make the Hades Town movie because I love that musical and it's an anti-capitalist thing about like the end of the world. And I'm like Lana Wachowski, give her thirty million bucks and like cast Zendaya as as Eurydice, and you thought that that movie writes its own checks. I actually no, nobody likes musicals anymore either. We don't like anything. We just I, I, like Spider Man. I have a crazy. I mean, I, I like. I don't. I don't think it's really a contrarian take. Yeah. But like. Uh, and I know, I know you're not. You guys wouldn't disagree with this, but basically, like I already do. You, <laughs> they got their their start. They, their first film was Bound, which is a you know brilliant, great and fucking movie, very well, very critically well received film that basically takes place in two apartments, <laughs> um, and basically has three characters. Um, and part of you says, well, why don't they, or, or, or Lana, if Lily's not making films anymore, why don't they go and make a film like that? The bigger part of me says, if they're giving you $200 million, it's your fucking responsibility yeah. to spend that yeah. money. Yep. I, yep. I, I do think that like Lily is doing that. Lily's making this weird little Showtime show. She directs. What two, show is three, it? I really don't work, know. Work in work progress. In progress. Yeah. It's very. Okay. It's a very good show. She directs two, three episodes a year, and like she writes a bunch of them. She's just off doing the thing where like they made. She wasn't involved in the pilot, but the pilot was made for like fifty thousand dollars, and she came on oh. board then as a producer to get it to keep making it. And now she's gotten more involved. It's very strange, very queer. Like, I think Lily is very interested in trying to work in that side of the space. Like the people forget that one of the, the scripts they broke through with was this, like this tiny budgeted cannibalism thing where they were like, we could do this, uh, you know, George Romero style for like mm-hmm. uh, $500,000 or we could do it for 5 million, but you kind of can't do it beyond that. And like, I do think there is sort of that interest within at least Lily and playing within that space. And I'm interested to see if she like ends up doing something with like a Blumhouse or something like that. But didn't they um, have a military thing at some point? There was some like a military, yeah. right? Something about like breaking was, in, about like yeah. gender roles within the military, if I'm not they, mistaken. They like made some of it and yeah. then like they stopped <laughs> making it. Yeah. What? It's, it's really, I mean, it should be said just in terms of this, in terms of resurrections, um, 
obviously Lily was not involved, although she did, she was quoted in saying, um, you know, she gave her blessing to come up with a story even better than the original. Um, she also elaborated in saying she needed time away from the industry to reconnect with herself as an artist and that going back to school and painting and stuff like that. Um, and that she was, you know, in addition to being obviously emotionally affected by the passing of her parents. So it does feel like, I mean, Lily and Lana have shuttered their company. They had a company, a, a production company. And when that shut down and then Lily went off to do this show, everyone sort of was like, well, I guess we're done. I guess we're not getting any more Wachowski movies. I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I, I could see them coming back together again and doing something in the future. Um, it sounds like they don't hate each other. Oh, certainly well, one isn't retired a la Ethan Cohen. But... <laughs> right, right. There, there does seem to be sort of this... And I, so... I was reading about the production halt because of COVID, which I think is an interesting little, this speaks to what we're talking about, which is, so March 16th, 2020, the production shut down because of COVID. Uh, and, and Wachowski, Lana, contemplated the possibility of never finishing the film and letting it, quote unquote, go down as an incomplete legendary film not meant to be seen by anyone. It then took many months. <laughs> that rules. <laughs> Can you imagine? And then it took many months of the cast pestering her to finish the film until she eventually relented and agreed. And then on August 16th, they resumed production in Berlin. Mm. Um, it is interesting that she was willing to be like, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> like, whatever, no one's ever going to see this thing. It's It speaks to this idea that like, I think they like doing films, but they're fine not doing it. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. I think the the twin reactions they seem to have had to the deaths of their parents are like the most common artistic reactions to dealing with grief. Like Lana's like, I'm going to throw myself into making this big statement totally. in a world that I'm already familiar with, you know, um, uh, like, and then Lily's like, I'm going to go up and do make something really tiny and personal yeah. and like not Intimate, spend a lot yeah. of money. And like, I, I think it's interesting. They had those divergent reactions. I do kind of hope and think they will come back together, but I, do I think it will be like a, like a Jurassic Park thing where they have to like adapt a book and like they're going to be watched really closely by the studio but like they love comics they love anime those yeah. are things that people are constantly wanting like like the the wachowski neon genesis evangelion movie i love that series uh i don't think it should ever be an american movie but if they made it i'd be like i'll see i'll see wachowskis let's see what you do with this tell me you wouldn't watch gideon the ninth Directed by the Wachowskis. Oh, I mean, that would be so of good. A book that I'm reading right that now that, so that I know good. you love. <laughs> Phil, the sequel to that, Harrow the Ninth, which is Harrow the Ninth is the Matrix Reloaded of sci fi books. I can't wait. I can't and wait. like, uh, it is, people have kind of come around on it. I loved it at the time. That is the kind of thing where I don't know how you adapt it because of what it does with POV, but like, I just, it just, it, the Wachowskis are the only ones who should. Therefore, they should make the Gideon the Ninth movie, <laughs> which I think is, no, the problem is they'll turn Gideon the Ninth into a friggin' TV show. And like, there's not enough there for a TV show. You know, know. maybe, maybe a, like three, but, but I, but I think we're, we're, I think we agree that like, I think they come back together. I think they do something together. The question ultimately is, you know, is it Warner Brothers that bankrolls them, right? Like, or is it a Netflix, or is it some, is it, is it some sort of a, a you know, a different company that decides to get behind them? But someone would. I mean, I don't think there's a question. It, 
is Warner Brothers the only studio that's building those kinds of relationships with filmmakers now? Like, well, Disney, Chris Nolan would say otherwise. I mean, yeah, Chris Nolan went over to Universal, um, but like yeah. he he was, you know, he was their guy. Eastwood's their guy. Um, uh, the Wachowskis, yeah. of course, they've bankrolled Todd many Phillips. times. Disney yeah. kind of is doing this with Chloe Zhao, but like that's Ish. it. You know, yeah. and like they are not like, you know, they're not like just burning yeah. down the door to do Chloe Zhao's, um, I don't know, friggin' Gideon the Ninth adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do, you know, in terms of resurrections, I, I, I wanted to kind of dig into the, the, the fandom for a second because I do think that, you know, Kenny, you were talking about, you know, in rewatching the sequels, seeing how the sequels were embraced by certain people, obviously the majority, not so much. Mm-hmm. And then seeing how this film is embraced is really interesting to me. There, I mean, Twitter is obviously a dumpster and really should be a barometer of much, but watching this film's dissemination amongst people that I expected to really love it mm-hmm. and not like it was surprising to me. People that I very much respect, very smart, you know, incisive individuals. What do you think that's about? Do you think that 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 there's just that the film is just too alienating? I, I think Me? it. Nope. I, I got think, nothing to say. Go ahead. Either of you. I mean, I think this movie is. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I think this movie sounds like, uh, sorry, I got a random email that threw me. <laughs> I think that this movie, leave it in, leave that in. It's yeah, important course, that course, everyone know it. I just yeah. got an email. Always wrong. <laughs> Emily got an email, guys. Yeah. Emily got an email. Um, the, uh, <laughs> I think that this movie engages with fandom in a similar way to The Last Jedi. And I think that we yes. are living in an era when people are so used to being catered to. And like, that's not unusual. That has always been the case. You look back at like, like the Thin Man movies and they are trying to give the audience what it yep. wants from a Thin Man movie. And like, I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm not saying fan service is bad. I'm saying now it's all we're used to. So when we get something that pushes buttons, it really freaks people out. And I think the reaction to this movie has been similar to the reaction to The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi was just so huge that like everything got magnified but like the backlash to this movie well is it's disappointing to me as someone who loves this movie and loves this franchise is like i don't know i i get it all the same (laughs) kenny you watched the sequels back to back with this film and then you saw the way that it was you know 
the reaction to it? Well, I saw the reaction that- first, right? Okay. So like, right, right. I, cause you know, I'm behind on everything and I watched, I, I actually went to the theater yesterday to watch this with oh, my wow. son. That's awesome. Uh, but um, yeah, no, I, I saw the reaction first and I'll be honest, you know, like based on those who liked it and those who didn't, I thought the right side was to like this. Um, my sense was the right <laughs> side was to, was to like this movie. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I think people would push back. I think those who didn't like it, because to your point, Phil, it's not the, it's not the idiots who like don't look up who are liking this movie. It's a lot of people that we like and respect yes. who aren't liking this movie, yes. right? Uh, so I think that they would push back at the idea that it's not that I'm saying you're saying this, but the idea yeah. that it's different or uncomfortable or, or uh, you know, it's too challenging. Um, I think what I've seen from the few who don't like it is, you know, things like it just doesn't work for me and it doesn't right, feel right. right to me. And and I, I I would say, you know, look, I think it's the fourth best of the four, frankly. Interesting. And and part of huh. that is, to, okay. I think it's a bit of a step back in terms of the mythology. I think returning mm-hmm. to the Matrix is a fan service that that is is is, is fan service that makes me a little uncomfortable. I think so, um, I think that the uh, uh, the show. The show. I think that this, we were talking about this earlier. (laughs) I think one of the problems that this movie has to exist within, which I think it navigates well, is that we are all just so aware we live in the Matrix now. Like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. Are versions of the Matrix that we are all aware of and we're aware of how they like pervert our emotions. And yet we're still like, "I, I gotta see what's going on on Twitter. You know, like we're so addicted to them. And I think that that is part of kind of what they're, they're dealing with. To your point, I think one of the worst things that's happened to the uh, the people who don't like this movie, who I think many of them have great points and many of them have a, a valid readings of the film, is that the same thing that happened with Last Jedi, where there's this loud, angry group of yahoos who are like mad at this movie for being quote unquote woke. Um, and you know, that, that has perverted the conversation in a way that doesn't allow us to like actually talk about criticisms people have of this, this movie, which I think you can make criticisms. Um, I, I prefer it to revolutions, but uh, you know, only slightly. I think, I think it's, I think it has interesting flaws. Like it's in my top 10 of whatever, but like I, I, uh, what year did we just go through? 2021? 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, it's in my top 10 of, the never-ending 2018. Um, but, <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, like I, I, I think I, that. Go ahead. <clears throat> I was just, I was just gonna say that you know, I, I similar to you, I think I like it a little bit more than than Revolutions, but but again, it's 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 pretty minute. I I, I do keep my book keeps going back to this place of it being, and I don't mean to diminish it. This is gonna sound diminishing, but it's not. Um, that it feels like like a, a an epilogue or or a grace note or or sort of this this nice appendage to the 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 previous three films um that it's a nice kind of little wrap up uh where we sort of we dip in it's it feels intimate it feels slighter than the previous films it's not as dense in its own way it's also just it kind of taps into one of my favorite moments when Niobe is talking about the quiet 
that they have when they're not plugged into the like the, the movie feels a little quieter than the other films in its own yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, aesthetically different director photography. We don't see the green of of our pre- of the previous Matrix films. It's a lot more sunshine and golden and and just kind of this idea of what a new Matrix looks. All, all these things to me. I was reading online about you know, people that are now like, what's the next one going to be? And is this a trilogy? And it's like, you, you miss the point entirely if you're asking for more of them. I think um, I, I would watch a new movie. Oh, I I'd think, watch it I think I think if they're going to do something new, I honestly, I would, uh, if the Wachowskis want to make Matrix movies, I will continue seeing them. I would not mind seeing Lana Wachowski be like, this is my protege and they're going to make a Matrix right, movie. Right, That'd right, be right. Fun. You know, in the way that Spielberg should have done with Indiana Jones long, long, long ago. Sure. Um, or Jurassic right. Park. Uh, yeah. sort of. Well, he, I mean. he did with Jurassic Park. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> twice. Um, yeah. He, yeah, that's the thing about these 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 people. They're not the best at choosing proteges. Uh, <laughs> Joe <laughs> Johnston is an American hero. I know How people dare. love Joe Johnston. How uh, dare. I can't he, wait till Blank Check does their uh, Joe Johnston their series. Jo- their, their, their Joey J. Uh, he made October Sky. Um, we, uh, we, I want to ask something. Yes. What about this film? All right. I understand conceptually why the jerks came for last Jedi on the grounds that it was woke because it had women in positions of power, but that's always been true for the matrix. Always, you know, that is a, that's a hallmark of this film. You, lest we forget, though, the first Matrix spawned the red pill. Like, there are people who read these movies as as right-wing revanchist texts, basically. I, I'm happy to talk about that in a sec. <laughs> but, but what about this film is particularly woke in a way that someone can point to? And I have my theory... And uh, I'm going to say it before one of you do. Okay. Nothing about it is woke, <laughs> and it is it is simply woke because it is a high profile uh, film made by a trans filmmaker. Correct. But uh, I don't Starring think there's some gay people. Start well, yeah, yes, yeah. but uh, I don't think there's anything about this that that they can point to in with. with I, I don't. I don't think so. All right, so that's all I got. I mean, do you think it's woke, Emily? Um, I just want I want to just do a quick little sidebar on how Bugs and Lexi are in love, and the sure, end of sure. this movie is about them being in love, and like there's so much lesbian yearning in this film. It's, and just can we talk about just Bugs in general? Bugs, uh, yeah. Nice, but anyway, I mean, we'll come back to Bugs. So bugs uh, is Bugs is my big problem with the movie. Is what? What? Bugs you is like great. Bugs? So here's the irony of this whole thing. No, Bugs is fantastic. It's not a Bugs issue. Okay, okay. okay. I, I texted Phil during Revolutions, and I want to read the text. Wow, from the theater. You're teaching your son no, some no, no, wonderful no, no, behavior. No, 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 Revolutions. revolutions. This is, this is uh, never right. would do that during Resurrections. Wow. What am I, an animal? All right. I texted... You definitely uh, text during movies, though, by the way. No, I don't. I mean, during kids' movies, of course. Uh, <laughs> I remember you watch being like, the best part is sitting in the back row. So no I always sit in the back row when we watch kids' movies so I yeah. can look at my phone and I don't have to yeah. watch, you know. Well, I love... I mean, don't get me wrong. I love... The yeah. No, I get it. Uh, well, gee, Phil, we text a lot, dude. You text a lot, uh, man. We text I don't know where. all I don't know. fucking day long. Um, 
I don't remember yeah, which, yeah. which text you're referring to, or I would, oh, I would pull it you'll up. get it. It's not what I okay. told you that they should make a Porkins series. Um, <laughs> he did say they should make a Porkins Star Wars television show. What do you think of that idea, Emily? In the, uh, what uh do you think I think I'm, I'm immediately green lighting it. Uh, <laughs> we're going to air it on RFD TV right after Emily in charge. Uh, do you do you run RFD TV as well? Is that I mean? Uh, I wish I did. Uh, RFD TV <laughs> is one of my favorite weird things because it actually exists, and it's mostly just like farm auctions. And I'm like, they should get <laughs> they should get into original scripted uh, programming. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll pitch you my idea for a reality show after this. <laughs> oh my All God. right, here's what I here's what I, I texted oh, yeah, okay. text yep. Phil what in the middle of this film. You know what I really all caps love about the Matrix. No one has a fucking British accent to signify status, dignity, or intelligence. Because I hate that as a lazy fucking signifier of status, dignity, or intelligence. And it's strewn throughout every other sci-fi and fantasy series as if like as, as if Westeros is England, as if like fucking Middle Earth is England, as if the fucking empire is run by fucking English people. It's lunacy to me. And having bugs with her British, British accent? accent in this film tore me apart. It tore me apart. That's it. I, they just love Jessica, understandably. Um, and she's she was rad. great. She was great. And it was cool. And I got over it. But I thought it was funny that I texted that to you and you yeah. heart emojied it. And then you didn't tell me that it was going to be blown well, was I gonna, to I wasn't going to say that to you. It was going to be like, oh, FYI, Bugs has a fucking British accent. Yeah. I'd forgotten she had a British accent until it's, right It's now. kind of pseudo-British, quite frankly. It's not like it's... it's. it's I think it's more it's just Brit- like... British. She, she calls people mate. She, she jumps on the lorry. I mean, it's over the top. <laughs> she does neither of these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, she also, she does say, what's up, Doc, though? Which is uh, she, the, the, she does the, the have the was good. She does have her famous catchphrase, which she says seven times: "Biscuits, Gavna." Uh, <laughs> she does. She does many times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I. When Phil said Jessica, I got so excited that Phil somehow knows Jessica Henwick, and he was going to add her to the call, and I was going to say hi. We only How do that doing? with Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We only have Blue Diamond Phillips on uh, on speed dial. I, I'll say this: I, I do think, <laughs> I do think that Bugs is um, the best new character. As much as I like the new team, and I, I do like uh, Lexi and and the various other people, um, Bugs is just. I'd watch a Bugs show. I'd watch a Bugs franchise. I mean, Bugs is great. Jessica Henwick's obviously great. Um, and I don't know. I mean, her character definitely. Her and Lexi definitely are in love, right? I mean, there's. I didn't. They're, I didn't have yeah. any question about love. that. Yeah, yeah, they're in love. They're in love. Yeah. I. That is one of the things where the third act of this movie does feel like it had about twenty minutes chopped out of it, and yeah. like that's yeah. uh, that is kind of my my big problem with it. But I feel like if there was a note on this movie. It was yeah. Warner Brothers saying, you cannot make these characters canonically in love. Like they are, <laughs> you You can look at the two of them and the way that Bugs throws herself into danger for Lexi and like the way they're yeah. kind of holding each other at the end. And you're like, yeah, they're lesbians, but they never actually say it. 
And that is as a, as a queer woman who um, writes uh, stuff that sometimes people look at and say, this is interesting. We can't make this because it's about queer people. Um, I, uh, you know, that, that really, that really bugs me that you can't just say bugs and Lexi are in love. It's not like the, the princess Elsa thing, you know, where uh, whatever. Or Luca. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Although Luca is super gay. I, um, (laughs) I mean, they're canonically in love. Come they're on. Canonically <laughs> in love. Um, I, I, I'll say this. I, I do think that um, this film, which is the longest Matrix movie, which I was surprised to know. I, yeah. the, the, the other sequels feel much longer. And I think it's because they're denser. I think it's because they're, quite frankly, trying to do more. And again, that's not a slight on this film, but I just think that those two movies are really going for broke. Um this movie moves quite cleanly, quite quickly. It doesn't feel long. Um, the only time, and I, I think you were sort of tapping into this, Emily, the third act of the film does feel a little rushed. And it does feel a little bit like, we got to get them to the top of this building. Um, it's 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 surprisingly small. Like, it's a coffee shop and a chase and a roof. Like, it's, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it, it doesn't have that much going on, but it does feel a little bit um, too streamlined for its own good. We 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 somehow got here from talking about whether the movie is woke, and I think yeah. what it is not. I think what it. I would not say it's a woke movie any more than the other matrices right. any more than, than any yeah. blockbuster. I think it is not a subtle movie. And if you were someone who looked at that first movie and read it as a uh, crypto fascist text, um, <laughs> this movie is doing everything it can to tell you. No, that yeah. was wrong. Machines and humans work together now. There are no binaries. You know what? The red and the blue pill is a false choice. And here, our brand new cool lesbian uh, cyberpunk character has blue hair and is presented as an alternate option. And like uh, the color scheme is going to feature red and blue in like really alternating interesting ways. And also there's a big, big friendly robot named Sabebe. And he's your new best friend. Um, like the... Uh, it is it is it is saying to you if you read this movie in a right wing fashion mm-hmm. it is trying hard as hell to not let you read this new movie and i'm sure people will because people are allowed to have their own interpretations of things but like it, it is it is a the, movie that's trying to guard against that well you tapped into something in your article that i think is one of the shitty readings of this film if mm-hmm. people want to find shitty readings and one of them is that this movie is somehow uh, you know, uh, negative about therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, and that, you know, that, that's the only, not the only, I'm sure that there'll be any number of shitty readings of this by the, by, you know, the right, but that's the one that I feel could perhaps be misinterpreted. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of, uh, suicidal imagery in it that I think people yes, will, yes. I think people, uh, have taken issue with in ways that I think are, are interesting. I, I don't agree with, but I see where, I see where they're coming right. from right. as someone that, who's, struggled with ideation in the past. Go ahead. That was something my son took away from it, actually. A nine-year-old. But uh, he, he, did, he, he did mention that all these people were jumping out of buildings, killing yeah. themselves at the end of this. And look, I, he didn't have school yesterday because this is ridiculous. You know, no, no one can get testing done in time. So I'm hanging with him. I didn't have much to do with him. I think we see the matrix. He hasn't seen any of the previous three. So okay. I did my, I did my best to like run him through it before. Oh boy. But you know, I don't think that uh, he quite understood the eyes turn green ish and they're no longer Jumping making their own decisions. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, 
Yeah, that out of context, basically my son saw it out of context. It was probably a little little shocking. I do think, um, I do wonder if it still is obeying the you die in the Matrix, you die in real life uh, uh, thing. Because it feels like swarm mode, in essence, turns a person into an agent. And in the original, if you become an agent, then you are eventually returned to your life. And they also shatter into code in a way that makes me think that it's not a death in the real world. I think, yeah, I think they're trying to suggest it's not actually suicide, but also, I mean, it's obviously not suicide. Their 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 impulses are overridden by a larger system. It's a it's a metaphor about friggin' Twitter, but it doesn't um, really matter. Yeah. They're they're and also they're, the, they're NPCs anyway. Like it the, doesn't really matter. They're you know? jumping hey, off. The- every human life matters. Go ahead, Phil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, corporations are people. I I, I think that um, my friend. I. <laughs> I, I think that the other thing too that should be said about specifically about Neo and then in turn Trinity at the end jumping off the building is a big part of the first one. As we all remember, one of the big tests that, that Neo has to take is jumping off the building. Um, more than anything, jumping from building to building as opposed to jumping off a building. But all that being said, um, the the idea of the leap, you know, the, the leaps that we have to take um, that's more of what they're talking about, obviously, on the Neo and, and, and Trinity side of things. But I do understand how people can, unfortunately, misinterpret that if they choose to. But, yeah, I think... Um, yeah. I don't know. My 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 read of the movie is so informed by the fact that I've been in trauma therapy the past year for just sure. some dumb some dumb shit that happened to me when I was a kid. I mean, it destroyed my life. Um, but also I think this movie, I found this movie intensely moving on that, that angle, but like no, no one person who's been through this, who's experienced suicidal ideation, who's been to therapy that hasn't worked for them, who's been to trauma therapy that hasn't worked for them is going to take the same thing away from this movie. I just, I think somebody involved in the movie at some point has has been through trauma therapy sure. and was like, we want to talk about this. Um, I don't know what well, to take and away from it. Lana has talked about how she had suicidal thoughts mm-hmm. um, and that she had a moment quite similar to the one that Bugs has with Neo, which is that she... I don't know if she was on top of a building. I don't know where she was, but she locked eyes with a complete stranger with a man on the street. And that look, that exchange that they had stopped her from doing what she was going to do. Um, and she's talked about that man to save her life and, and whatever that very well be. Um, so I, I do think that this stuff is all in there. Like, I don't think that this movie is not a, you know, a commentary on mm-hmm. these notions, but I also don't necessarily think it is as, you know, aggressive as some people might think it is yeah. on that level. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, having gone through this myself, sure. um, so being familiar with grounding techniques and all that stuff, uh, it in no way felt like an assault on, you know, on therapy. Uh, if, if you've at been, all, if you've been to enough therapy, you know, uh, Neil Patrick Harris is playing a terrible therapist. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. He, he he's not he's not a very good therapist. No, he's not. But like, I but I do. He's not like my therapist, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. <laughs> I think that um uh, or my therapist Jennifer. But I, I Hi, do Jennifer. think that. 
<laughs> or mine. Do or think- mine, Annie. Hi, Annie. All women. Uh, interesting. Um, I, I do think that... I want to talk for a second about Neil Patrick Harris's performance and the character. Uh, first of all, calling him the analyst is brilliant, obviously. Um, but But there is something to... And if you haven't read Emily's article about, about resurrections and trauma, everyone should go and read it. Um, but, I, but I think that you make really interesting points in it about not so much its depiction of therapy, but the way therapy is used metatextually and in a narrative component, the way that, that it's actually physically used as a, a narrative and a storytelling device that I do think is pretty brilliant. Um, you know, so I, I, I really appreciated that. I just kept saying, uh-huh, like I was agreeing that I'm brilliant, which Which you I are, do, and you should but... agree with it, obviously. <laughs> Um, no, I yeah. think I, I think we are in this era when everything is uh, this is this is just a gloss of my article. Everything is quote unquote about trauma, yeah. and none of it really is because it's not interested in, in engaging with it on the level that trauma actually takes over your life. It's like you know what if all if half of humanity disappeared because a, a, a thumb snapped its fingers, wouldn't that be really traumatic? Traumatic, and it would be, <laughs> but it's such a like we read about how people dealt with the black death where a third of Europe died and like, they just like, they totally mentally broke down. You cannot depict that in a superhero movie. So you depict like a kind of thin gloss of like, well, I, you know, things would be hard. I remember <laughs> people, I remember people being like the leftovers. One of my, one of my favorite shows, Great like show. people being like, okay, so 140 million people disappear. It, people wouldn't freak out that much about that. And then you look at our responses to COVID and people are, just terrible at dealing with this stuff so everything is about trauma but nothing is really about trauma and it's a gloss yeah can i i i I wanted to ask you this because i i I thought about it as i was reading your article because the the term trauma which i agree with you is thrown around in every think piece about every piece of art the television show movie book whatever it's not even a think piece Um, it's the creators coming out and being like actually it's about trauma Right. Sure, sure. That, that too. I, I guess my point is every story is about trauma. Like trauma in and of itself is a giant tent, right? Definition, in the way the, the word works, we're really talking about stakes. We're really talking about any sort of emotional fallout that comes from an event or whatever the case might be. So to your point, everything really for all intents and purposes could be put under the moniker of trauma, but the things that really grapple with it, like this film, um, can really own it is really what it comes down to. Yeah. And like, I think one of the things I was thinking about is the ways in which I think this movie engages with the thought that like, if you are constantly forcing these characters to relive, like yeah. terrible things you are essentially trapping them in a trauma spiral like you know what yep. happens to spider-man in no way home should trap him in this terrible trauma spiral and now yes. we're like what well, tom holland's got to do a new trilogy right like <sighs> why can't we just leave that character where he is like i i i have this because i write fiction in addition to writing criticism i have this bad habit of like you know thinking about it's not a bad habit it's a good thing i think about my characters as real people i think about what are they going through if i just keep forcing them through these cycles what am i doing to them you know well like, wouldn't you say that that's the the i mean one of the differences between a television show mm-hmm. and a franchise is that a television show can have 
a singular trauma yeah. that you can unpack over many yeah. seasons. Yeah. A, a movie has to create a new trauma every for all intents and purposes every time, which yeah. to your point makes it sort of masochistic. You know, I I love like I I love leftovers. We talked about that. I'm I'm obsessed with this this show uh, made by friend of the pod, uh, some friends of the pod. Um, Ooh, Yellow Jackets. What show might you be talking? Yeah, about? I'm just I'm I'm fucking obsessed with it. It's all I think about. And like, uh, it's about trauma. It, it is very. It's about trauma. It is. It is the only. And this is this is the thing in an article I wrote that got killed, but that may see the light of day elsewhere. It's the only show I can think of that is genuinely just like yeah, understands how trauma functions because. I think it doesn't use the word trauma until the penultimate episode of its first season. I think it never, it just is like, here's how these people were marked by this terrible experience in which their plane crashed in the woods and they became cannibals. Like it, it which, God, this show's nuts. I love it. Um, the, uh, but, but wouldn't like, you say that, that, that part of it is also baked into, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the gender role component of it as well? Some like of that, it, that, that there's something in, about like, being yeah. a woman in those circumstances is very different than being a man in the circumstances. Yes, and it's also what's baked into it is um, that it is, broadly speaking, in the genre of horror. And horror deals right, with trauma right. really well. So right. horror and television deal with trauma really well. And so yes. like that is a perfect yes. melding of those two things. And But movies... Yeah. struggle to deal with trauma because it every time there's a new world ending crisis mm-hmm. and like the stakes always have to like stay sky high you know you look at something like um, buffy the vampire slayer and every season she was facing a world ending crisis but it scaled up yeah. you know by the end she was fighting god and like cool um <laughs> we all have fought god at one time or another sure. let's just be honest with ourselves yeah. um can he beat but- god Kenny, did you beat God? I, I did actually kind of beat God. It's true. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's true. Uh, I'll tell you about it. But yes. that explains a lot of the last several years. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> it's, you know what? You know what? It was it was a tough fight. I'm not saying he was a he was a, he was definitely he was definitely a formidable opponent. Does God fight dirty? Are you kidding? You're, <laughs> 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 That's incredible. Yes. Does God uh, fight dirty? Uh, all right. So I, I, but I do. I mean, you're you're joking yeah. about fighting God. Uh, aside, <laughs> this does tie in a little bit to what I was about to say about why I yeah. think uh, trauma works. It works well as an animator in TV and not so well in movies. And yeah. in general, not every movie, but in general, big movies come mm-hmm. to a resolution. Yes. And the resolution is this is how you will get over your trauma or your grief or whatever problem you have. And if the problem you have is, you know, a bully's trying to kill me, then you can get over that by killing that person first. That's a good that's that's a good way to move on with your life. But uh if the thing is I can't get over the fact that I think this bully is that I that I had to kill this yeah. bully and I don't know what to do about it, there is no, you know, I found love moment that is gonna answer that question. So the reason a show like Yellow Jackets works so well is because it fundamentally understands that there is no there is no fix except for like beating God. And that's the joke of it. That's why this plays into it. Like you act like there is something so much bigger than like finding some fucking hobby to help you get over your trauma. Uh it 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 is a series of small things done 
over and over and over and finding new small things when those small things don't work and continuing every single day to find some other way to make yourself feel just a little bit more like you can continue. Like, and and that works really well to the serialized nature of a show and works really poorly in the, you know, love conquers all version of most movies. Yeah. Um, Which I don't think, by the way, the matrix is saying at all here that love conquers all. Um, I think it's actually interesting that you know this that that Neo and, and Trinity are almost not even characters by the end of this film. Um, you know, they're like a unit. Just, they're basically just a yeah. They're a unit. They're an idea. They're yeah. you know two gods essentially. Yeah. They're you know, but but they are they are tools being used by someone else to mm-hmm. power a system. Um, totally. and that's kind of interesting too. The stakes. I, one thing I think makes this movie's depiction of trauma work is that the stakes end up being pretty small. Like, obviously, there's like, whatever, you know, are they going to be able to save it? But like, the stakes are, can Neo and Trinity figure their way out of this puzzle yeah. they're in? And that's all trauma is. And it helps if you have somebody who is also sort of figuring out what's going on alongside you. It helps if you have someone to hold your hand when you jump off the building. But like ultimately jumping off the building is, is, is a choice you have to make. And, um, you know, it's all obviously metaphorical, but like, I think, I think that one of the reasons this movie works for me is because the stakes are small and like, you have to scale the stakes back if you're going to reboot this franchise. And like, I don't know. How did your son feel about, uh, the swooning love story between two people in their (laughs) fifties? Well, the, 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 you know, the interesting thing about modern media is that's not that old anymore. Like this motherfucker is John Wick. So like, you know, this isn't some, some old man in his fifties. This guy is like very cool to a younger generation. So it was not brought up. It is old if you're a woman, though. Like Carrie Ann Moss isn't working that much, and like He's, now she's yeah, looks great. That's though. true, but that's certainly she's so hot, so hot, so hot. It, it, They're it, both it, it, so hot. I want to be clear. Yeah, Everyone in this movie is hot. Well, that's a big, and, and and I appreciate that greatly. Um, I love beautiful people, but uh, he yeah no he didn't seem to comment on that at all. It comes up like. That's way less a thing like than when we were younger, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, I just – I think it is funny that so much of this movie is very specifically – like you could take the core story of this movie and turn it into um, an Alexander Payne movie. Like with – strip off all the franchise stuff and just be like this is about two middle-aged people who find each other again and fall in love and they have to like go through some therapy to do that. <laughs> And it would mostly work, you know. Like, Alexander like, Payne's well, Matrix yeah. movie would be interesting. It, it would, it would, it would, it would work as long as the beginning trauma was some woman doing something unforgivable to Neo, to a man. something so horrible to Neo, you yeah. can't believe yeah. that he can even walk after the beginning of what right. she does yeah. to him. And then they all get shrunk and have to live in a bottle. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, have, have I told you how much I hate Alexander? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the world but loves I'm election. A, loves election. The, of course, I love election. Election's I, great. Yeah. I'm but not the world's bit, biggest. Yeah, but fan everything of him, stinks. But, yeah. Everything else I, I, like stinks very much. So, um, 
there's an opportunity that I want to uh, that I want to take right now, which is a second bite at the apple of of the film that we are releasing on Friday, um, and I want to hear your thoughts on this film a little bit, Emily, as we wrap this up. Uh, not a it's a big 99 film. Um, you spoke of Yellow Jackets. Oh. We have Karen Kusama coming on for Fight Club. I know what this is. I know, I know what's I know. happening right now. I'm gathering my thoughts. And I'm, I'm so we, you know, we did an episode, uh, a Y2K episode with uh, Sean O'Connor, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. We asked him his thoughts on Fight Club as well. So, you know, we're getting a second bite at the apple with this bonus episode. And I, you know, I saw a tweet that you posted. A few, I think you rewatched FICO Blood relatively recently, Emily, Probably. if I'm not mistaken. It and you, sounds like a thing I would do. <laughs> and I just, it was a very simple tweet. It was, uh, hey guys, Fight Club's a good movie. <laughs> something, something along those lines. But I yeah. was wondering if you could extrapolate on that a little bit. I don't like, I, uh, so when I look at Fincher, um, I, mm-hmm. I, Fincher's somebody I run hot and cold on. Um, I, Fight Club is not one of my Fincher movies, I think it, but I do think it's mm-hmm. good. I think it's the pretty classic along with the matrix um, movie that, you know, the wrong people took the wrong way. hundred percent. What how ha- the thing with fight club is, I don't think there's that other. Well, mm-hmm. and also, you know, Lana and Lily coming out sort of randomly saved the matrix. Totally agree with if that. Lana and Lily were cis men somehow, then there's, then you would not be looking at it in a different way. Interesting. Yeah. The fact that they came out adds this uh, added layer of relevance and resonance. And like, I think that that helped that move. Fight club doesn't really, have that the one thing i think you know that is sort of that has sort of like given it second life is it's very Mm anti-capitalist in a way that resonates with our current moment but it mostly presents that as anti-consumerism which i think is is interesting because consumerism and capitalism are different things blah 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 but the end of that movie when you know uh they blow up the buildings and where is my mind plays is of course you know just this this uh, sort of stunning little sequence i do think you know that movie uh the elements of it that are meant to be satirical the elements of it that are meant to be a commentary on life the elements of it that are meant to be a commentary on toxic masculinity kind of got lost by the wayside um and and the the right the great writer jude doyle um uh has sort of written about how um he you know as a as a trans masculine person um reads that movie mm. and brad pitt's performance in that movie and like having this guy this super virile guy inside of you who's fighting to get out and i am interested to see trans mask people kind of claim that movie as their own which is a thing that's slowly but surely happening and i think that will be a similar uh, thing to the matrix where people get very mad about that happening for some reason. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I like it. I think it's good. I think it's well made. I think, uh, Fincher's best movie is either, um, Zodiac or Gone Girl. So, uh, I'm not well, the I, world's prototypical Fincher. I'll say fan. this, you know, it, first of all, you know, Karen uh, had some, tre- tremendous insights into it. And I, and I think that we, it's a great episode. Um, but Ken, I'm so looking. Kenny and to I it. talked about this a little bit. We texted a little bit about this. Um, Fight Club's not cool anymore. If anything, it's no. it's kind of like I and I said this to Kenny. I I have a a beautiful Fight Club poster that I that I used to have on my wall that I no longer have on my wall. <laughs> um, that that yeah, that yeah. I, if that you I had, had on my your bedroom, wall, you would suck. 
And and I remember <laughs> many months ago, many months ago, probably a few years ago now, quite honestly, it was in my bedroom and I moved it into another room because I was just like, you know what? I really want someone coming into my bedroom and seeing me with a Fight Club poster on my wall. Um, and, and I think that says something. Whereas if I had a Matrix poster, I'm a little nerdy, don't get me wrong. But I also think to your point, Emily, it wouldn't have the same connotation. There's something and- icky or about Fight Club. It's a great, it's, it, that is a great kind of like benchmark thing. Like, would you put the poster on your wall? Because Emily behind her right now is a fig bag poster she on does. her wall. I do, that, that requires no explanation. <laughs> you don't need to say, well, I'm not one of those bad flea bag fans who, you know, who is only in, exactly. who's only, yeah. who's only there because I like people punching each other in the face. Sure. Uh, you're good. <laughs> Or, or more to the point, because I love when priests fuck. Uh, it, you, you, who doesn't? Who doesn't, right? Because I think all priests should be fucking. You got to fight God, and then you got to fuck God. Those are the two <laughs> things you got to do. Uh, and you know, similarly speaking, Phil, I believe that's a that's a Eternal Sunshine that's poster. A Eternal Sunshine you. poster and a Punch Drunk Love poster. Okay, those are not things that you have to explain away. Yeah. Someone comes over, and the assumption is you're just a person with good taste, and maybe runs a little more on the uh, sentimental side. <laughs> exactly who you are, right? <laughs> yes, so it, yes. It, I'm fine it, with it, that. On, on my wall, on my wall, I got a Home Alone poster. There you go. There you go. Which, you know, I don't think I have to explain to anybody. that no. it, I, It's not that I just like random violence against criminals, though I do. You do. Uh, sure. But I just like... That movie's so weird. I rewatch <laughs> it. It's so weird. Do you, also, do you have art from your children? Yeah, like How random dare. stuff. How dare. There you go. That's nice. Random stuff. Stuff up there. Some boards. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm supposed to hang up an American's poster and a Leftovers poster. It just hasn't You can do but that. But all representations think, of Emily. But, but I would say that, you know, uh, I would literally never put a Fight Club poster on my wall. I would literally never put a Matrix poster on the wall because God forbid someone should think I'm a Red Bull lunatic. <laughs> so I do think that, you know, sure. Matrix has been reclaimed as the sisters came out as trans. Mm-hmm. And I think also it has blunted anybody from anybody who... I believe they don't want to be embracing the movie from embracing the movie because sure. then they would have to explain to their friends how, why they like the trans woman movie. So I think that there's some, you know, something there, but I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's an interesting little like benchmark. Would you put the it poster is. on your wall? Yeah. It's, and, and I think that fight club is a film that, you know, Kenny and I have talked a lot about like, you know, when we do Fight Club, we knew that it was something that we were going to do um, and what the take was going to be, like what the way into it is going to be because it's just, it has aged oddly, I guess, is maybe the best way to put it. it, it it's, it's, it's still a, a technically proficient film with great performances and a lot of really interesting ideas in it. Um, but it is also, and I think I texted this to you, Kenny, when I was rewatching it, like it might be the most 1999 movie in a weird way, you know, that it feels like it encapsulates all of the great and the strangeness of that, of that year. You, you know I, what I like about Fight Club? having been, you know, now we're about two or three weeks away from having done this podcast already with Karin. Mm. I like that the debates about Fight Club are still open. I like that, that, you know, whereas I think the debates about The Matrix are kind of closed. 
Yeah. At this point, I think, you know, and there's been, you know, there's been academic papers and there's been classes taught about it. And there's certainly philosophical arguments that you can have. But I don't think that, you know, the the what did the Wachowskis mean when they made this movie? Yeah. I think there's there, there are definitely some ideas that we've coalesced around that feel right to most people. Yep. Um, I think it's really interesting that The Matrix is still a very challenging text. And there is this like little gremlin when you watch it, which is like, maybe this is what they're saying. Like, is it possible that this, that this is, that the bad shit is actually like text and not, or, or that's actually yeah, yeah. the subtext? And yeah. that's a kind of weird little kind of exciting feeling when watching a movie. And, and because I love interest so much, wanting it to be you know, uh, morally and ethically right and feel like, oh man, this, this isn't really driving with what I, with what I want. Like, yeah. can I, I contort yeah. myself? I think that's rad. I think, um, I like that feeling when I'm watching a movie, when I'm like, I think maybe this movie is trying to make me hate myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, but also, um, as a true failure of a man, um, <laughs> <laughs> who gave into the feminized culture of the time. Oh yes, that's right. Um, I uh no, I uh, uh uh I get to make that joke. Um I um yes. I don't know. I'm so fascinated by that movie and like it's this perfect middle ground of like The Matrix is a movie that we can still appreciate. American Beauty largely because of who it stars is just like yeah. you can't ever watch it again. Fight Club. I don't is, agree with that. I mean, it's, obviously, it's tough on a bunch of levels. Obviously, you can watch it. Like, no, no, I'm not no. Saying I, I, forbidden, I, I, no, no. I but, think it's the worst. I think it's the worst movie, and I think it's. I think it has nothing to do with Spacey. I think it's the fucking pits. I agree. I agree that it has a lot of problems, but like the Spacey thing yeah, suddenly like made it totally, made it yeah. radioactive. Yeah. Um. Uh. But the Fight Club is like right in this weird middle ground where yeah, you yes. can't entirely say what's going on there and i'm interested in that as a critic but i get why societally that can be weird but yeah you're right it's not really it's not really cool anymore well i also think that fincher has grown as a filmmaker in i would argue intellectually in leaps and bounds since fight club in the sense that he's found like i think that the thing about fight club is that it's playfully non-committal, right? Like Fincher's clearly right. being like taking, enjoying taking the piss out of the situation and kind of not taking a stance one way or another on a lot of stuff. Whereas he's, he has, he has sort of fine-tuned that skill as he's progressed as a filmmaker. Fincher is a endlessly fascinating filmmaker mm -hmm. that almost doesn't get talked about enough. Like, I know that sounds crazy because he probably is the internet's favorite director, but it, it, there is this idea of like he's the he's the director of, of film he's the favorite director of film bros that almost gets dismissed, and there is this idea that you know uh, Zodiac is its own kind of you know brilliant um, period piece that stands apart. But when you're saying that when when you when we're talking about Fight Club not really settling the argument. The reason I love Gone Girl so much is because the place it leaves you yeah. is really troubling, yeah, and yeah. it's it's the best. And I and Emily, I know enough about you to know that like an amazing Amy is kind of what you want because it's kind of what I want. Yes. <laughs> 
That's who I want to be, Kenny. <laughs> then maybe I should marry you because you. I want. There is like there is just something about there is like the, the to me at least the final conclusion of that film and maybe the novel which I didn't read, but the film is Cripple. it's unfucking believable. Which is maybe it's better to just live to just to just have some excitement whether it's good or bad for everybody else maybe it, it's preferable it is the rare movie where the four chief creative people behind that david fincher jillian flynn um uh rosamund pike and ben affleck all think they're making different movies yeah. those movies are all in conversation with awesome. each other in just ways that are like like i love i love 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 that movie and I, you know, I hope um, I someday get to be on a, a podcast about it. Um, Maybe. Someday. By the way, everybody look forward that at the end of this year, there's going to be a podcast like it's 1999 wedding special. That's the final Ooh. episode of 2022 because Kenny just proposed marriage to me. And we're getting married <laughs> at the end of the year. It's going to be a. We're going to get married and we're going to discuss some celebrity wedding of 20. Of I would. I would. I would love that, and that would make me very happy. I've always kind of wanted that. Um, because I love our <laughs> podcasting and this is like the, the foundation of a good marriage. Um, but, and I don't care about my own marriage. There's nothing to do with that. Um, <laughs> happy to leave my wife for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but just on the gone girl tip, yeah. um, I put it on my, my top, I think it was in my top 10 yeah. of yeah. the, of the, the past decade. It is yeah. one it's of my favorite mind. films, mm-hmm. but what the, in, the, I happen to be watching Social Network. Like I'm in the middle of it right now because I'm watching it as research for something and I'm texting Phil as I do as I watch all movies. And I think Social Network's fucking brilliant and basically perfect too. It's interesting to me, but it's not as complex as these movies we're talking about. It's really not emotionally as complex. But what I love about Social Network is it was first through the door. It was really the first piece Mm -hmm. of art that I could remember that called the internet out for what it is. That stopped lauding the technology or or on the other side basically saying it's going to kill us all on a matrix level and be like oh no no it's really just about titillation like it's really just about create recreating the social social structure and it's a real and, and it is it is like a way of radicalizing the creepiest elements of our society and it doesn't have to be um i don't even want it to be ambiguous i don't think there's anything mm-hmm. 10 years removed 12 years removed, ambiguous about what Facebook has done to us. And I love that about that, that film. That is the rare movie that at the time people were like, this goes a little too hard on Mark Zuckerberg. It is a great movie, but it t- takes, you know, mm-hmm. it takes him to task. And now we're like, this movie didn't go hard enough. It did not go hard enough. I, I, I it go, it goes, <laughs> honestly, it goes, it goes pretty hard. Like, I mean, watching it, it, it he's, he is, if you if you go into it with zero empathy for this guy, uh, so you're not even trying to find the humanity humanity in him, and you're just like, I know who he becomes. It 100 percent follows that that through line throughout the entire movie. Everything he says is the thing an asshole would say in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's thrilling. Mm-hmm. Can I just say one quick thing though um, on the on the the Gone Girl thing, because as you guys were talking about it, I, I couldn't help but sort of put it next to Fight Club, because there are some interesting similarities between them and why I think Gone Girl is a better film than Fight Club. First of all, I think there's there's an argument to be made for the Palinuk-Flynn sort of 
lane that they both sort of exist in when it comes to sort of pop culture literature. Um, I think that there is a Amy Dunn, Tyler Durden argument to be made to some degree or another as well as to what she brings out in, um, oh my God, why can't I think of Ben Affleck's character's name? Nick in, uh, mm-hmm. in Gone Girl as Tyler brings out in quote unquote, the narrator in in Fight Club. I, I do think that the reason I put them next to each other is because I think that you can see that sort of um, the tone and and the tool that Fincher was trying to do with Fight Club and I would argue is more successful doing with Gone Girl. Now, Gone Girl is about marriage and it's it's much more sort of emotionally there. But both of those movies are satires, I put that in quotation marks, but they both are sort of as close to comedy as mm-hmm. Fincher gets. And I think that there they're just there there are similarities between those two things that I that I wouldn't have necessarily tapped into until you guys brought it up. I just found my top ten of the twenty twenty tens. And it's yes. it's a great list. So I'm just gonna read it. Thank uh, you. <laughs> number one is okay. Ken, Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret. Uh, number sure. two, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Number three, David Fincher's Gone Girl. Number four, uh, Celine Sciamma's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Number sure. five is... Which had uh, just come out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mike Mike Mills, uh, 20th Century Women. Uh, number six, oh, The Wachowskis, yes. Cloud Atlas. Number seven, Todd Haynes' is, uh, Carol. Number eight, David Fincher's The Social Network, the only director with two in my top ten. Uh, number nine, The Cones' is Inside Lewin Davis. And number ten, Ari Aster's Midsommar. So what a great what list. A, what that's a great excellent list. list. That's an excellent, excellent list. list. I also had 20th Century Women on mine, um, and, uh, and I also had Social Network. But uh, yeah, I mean, I... You didn't I have Gone know. Girl? I thought you did. I had Gone Girl. Like we we did like I think honestly our list we for like did the 20. top twenty or something like did, that. Yeah. So I mean, have, have, oh, we have, have thirty. We can keep yeah. going. Yeah, have I mean it understand? was it was a long list. I mean I had I had Phantom Thread very high on mine as well. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it's Fincher is a guy who is fascinating. I'll be there opening day or you know at midnight when it drops or whatever it is with you know whatever he makes. I'm there for. Um, and I was I was. I mean, I think I speak for Kenny and, you know, diving into Fight Club was, was a blast and yeah, uh, just, it continues to be a great film. Just like when I, I kind of, you know, had like a real, you know, uh, crisis of confidence when I had to admit to myself the Field of Dreams is my favorite movie. I had the similar one when I had to admit that Fincher is probably my favorite director. Because I don't think that uh, I don't think that either of those things are particularly cool things to say. But if I got you know, look, if I'm being honest, that's just kind of where it lands. I, I, he makes I, good I, shit, and I think I think you are really right that you you put the finger on it. For me, Fight Club has been lessened by the fact that I think Gone Girl does everything it does better, sure. and yeah. I just like like also it's about a lady and like um but yeah amy dunn is amy dunn as as the female tyler durden is just a, a really yeah. great way to look at that movie um and also neil patrick harris i was is gonna say that to bring yeah. everything yeah. back yeah. yeah that was kind of his first big villainish turn yeah uh and uh and, and he, he's fantastic he plays a villain really fucking well because well, i think there's something very um He's such of a moment right now in terms of what he's able to kind of weaponize in terms of of his, his, you know, obviously his sexuality, 
his the, the the his his Broadway chops, his comedy chops. He's got years on a sitcom, uh, you know, years as Doogie Hauser, and then to twist that knife a little bit and show you that there's this insidious kind of quality to that stuff is is, is interesting. My my only issue with Neil Patrick Harris in these roles is I and this is too this might be too metatextual and unfair, but I am a million percent confident that he's a good guy. And yeah, yeah. It, there is something kind of thrilling about watching a Chris Walken or guy or uh, Harvey Keitel, who, you know, seem like they might be good guys, but I cannot be 100% confident or a Pesci, you know, that like scare that, that like kind of scare me in its own way. But like he does play this really, really like I like Neil Patrick Harris's smarm. And his his uh his superiority complex that he throws out really well, but like I know when he gets off when 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 they when they say cut, he's best friends with everyone on set. Well, uh, Emily, I kind of like I, I kind of like Groff as the villain though. That was I love Groff. I love like yeah. I love everybody. I love everybody. He plays a nice guy all the time, yeah. and I don't know if he's nice. Yeah, I think <laughs> both of them obviously, just sink their teeth into what they're doing. Obviously, yeah. the best performance, so baby. Wonderful big robot boy. Well, I, the other thing I just, just want to say to cuddle, really quick, just really quick, nuzzle. really quick. Yeah. Should Morpheus have been in this movie at all? And by Morpheus, do you I, mean uh, Lawrence? Well, Fisher? yeah, yeah, but no, 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 no. I mean, oh, you mean like Morpheus? Morpheus, the character. Yes, he should have been. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, he I, died in the video game, which is why they they. I mean, that was that was the logic that I've read. That's not what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. I'm talking about the character. Yeah, yeah, uh, what's his name? Yeah, yeah, Abdul, Abdul, yeah, Abdul Mateen the second plays Morpheus. Um, should Morpheus the character have been in this film at all? Oh. Did he provide us with anything except for one fight sequence that could have been done with anyone? I yes. I'll say yes, and this is why I'll say yes. I think that the idea that Neo knows that Morpheus got him out of the Matrix the first time and creates another Morpheus to get him out of the Matrix this time feels logical. Did he? You know what I'm saying? Did he? Did he even create him? Like, he, what do you mean? The, the whole, well, he didn't create the video games. Like, there is no first time. We're right. I mean, there's a little. There's a little. Well, he created the. Mo- he created on. the modal within. I mean, I know what you're saying, but like, is, he he I created a I'm version saying, of Morpheus to help him escape again. He didn't need to. This, uh, this movie is about reincarnation on many levels. Uh, Neo and Trinity are not actually Neo and Trinity. They're resurrected versions of Neo and Trinity who are different people. And true. therefore, you need to present that more forthrightly with Morpheus and Smith. I think we would not be having this conversation if the third act had more of a resolution for Morpheus, which feels like why it why why true. the third act feels like 20 minutes shorter. Sure. So too short. There's a, there's, I, would, I, I would actually, to, to, to piggyback on that, I'll say that there's a bunch of stuff that kind of gets, you know, sort of whisked away in the third act. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of like, why does Smith kind of do what he does? And he's like, adios. And then he's just like, okay. And, and there's, yeah. there's a bunch of little things like that. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> I just opened Twitter to find my top 30 of the 2010s. <laughs> and as we were having this conversation, literally, I just got this notification. Can I screen share? Can yeah. I screen yeah. share? Absolutely. No, I can't. It's host disabled participant oh, screen sorry. share. 
I was just followed by Lily Wachowski. Oh, on, wow. On Stop. Twitter. Wow. It, on Twitter. You've I'm made gonna, it. Now you're going to take it. a screen cap. Crazy. That's send it amazing. To y'all. Stop. <laughs> just it. email it. This is this is the power this of this podcast. Once in a while. The power right, of this we, podcast. Should we leave it on that or should yes, we absolutely. get Emily's uh, top Emily, 30? This was, this, was a, this was, as always, a pleasure. We look forward to having right, you back. Start for, picking out a dress. For, for, pick out yep. a dress for your wedding. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, and uh, we look forward to having you back for, for some mysterious movies later this year, uh, which we're very excited to talk with you about. Because we've not ex- announced I'm, what I'm we're doing just yet. Very excited to be here right. to discuss those things that will happen. Um, I, I'm going to, uh, this is the part where I do my plugs, huh? Yeah, um, please, please plug everything you've got. I'm going to do, uh, uh, I, if you can read my writing at uh, Vox, where mm-hmm. I write regularly on on film and television um, and keep getting dragged back into doing that. But I talk about all number of other topics there. Um, you can uh, find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash emilyvdw. It's the handiest collection to all my links. I have a newsletter at emilyvdw.letterdrop.com where it's mostly just me writing weird bullshit, but like people seem to like it. Um, and, I'm Studio uh, 60. That's something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if, I like if the you, weird shit. If you want to help me bolster my own intellectual property that has accidentally become a thing that people are occasionally like, we should turn that into a thing, you can listen to my podcast, Arden, <laughs> which is a fictional series about two women who solve cold cases and try not to fall in love and also is kind of an adaptation of Shakespeare plays. Um, you can find that on Podcatchers Everywhere. That is, uh, that is the stuff I'm up to <sighs> right now. <clears throat> Unbelievable. As always, the queen of the Matrix... Emily Fentrowerf, the arbiter of Christian of of Christmas adjacency, the arbiter, uh, also the arbiter of Christianity. Let's just face it. (laughs) What's Christianity? What's Christianity after I destroyed God? Yeah, he already beat God. Can he beat God? (laughs) Well, I had to. I I had to. I had to resurrect God so we could continue the franchise. Uh, But it's a different God. (laughs) Different God. Uh, This was a blast. We'll talk to you soon, Emily. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989. Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Yon Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.